Hi, everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of the Data Doesn't Equal Outcomes podcast. I'm your host, Tristan Keelan from CCNY. Federal health and human services organizations have to demonstrate outcomes. They have to run programs that make people better and prove it. So the mad scramble for data is well underway. But data is just outcomes are just results. Connecting the two is the work. So if it has to do with driving better results for clients using a data-driven approach, we cover it on data doesn't equal outcomes. My guest today is Alyssa Palmer, from the Director of Quality at Southside CHS. Um, Southside is a federally qualified health center serving primarily uninsured, underinsured, low-income individuals and families within the Minnesota Minneapolis, correct, metropolitan area. Um, they lead with a continuous improvement philosophy through education, positive relationships, and psychological safety. Under Alyssa's direction, Southside has achieved formal recognition at the community health center in Minnesota to be in the top 10% in clinical quality among national community health centers for three consecutive years. Standardizing realistic, efficient workflows that are designed and tested by the people closest to the work. Outside to develop their We Always framework, which we'll talk about on today's episode, which ensures that delivering the highest quality care and service to the community is at the forefront of daily operations. Alyssa, thanks so much for, for being on today. Yeah, thank you for having me, Tristan. Okay, so we did kind of a quick overview of Southside CHS and used, uh, got a few buzzwords in there, but tell us a little bit about role there and what it means to be a federally qualified health center. Sure, so my role as director of quality um, is really a combination of compliance, risk. Um, I usually tell people it's um, anything that has to do with the quadruple aim. So um, increased or improved patient outcomes, improved patient and staff satisfaction, and then uh, lower cost of care. Um, so a federally qualified health center is um, essentially a community health center that's federally funded through HRSA. Um, and we are um, we really serve um, all individuals who are primarily underinsured or uninsured and low income um, with primary medical, behavioral health, dental and vision services, regardless of their ability to pay. And being a uh, FQHC, Federally Qualified Health Center, does that sort of tie you to specific outcome metrics? It does. So we are um, essentially we're required to um, show continuous improvement, um, but we have about 18 clinical quality measures that we um, report on each year. Um, and at Southside, we um, keep all of them at the forefront. There's many clinics, I think, that, um, you know, try to focus on certain ones each year, but we try to keep them at the forefront of everything that we do. And 18 clinical quality measures at the forefront is no small task. It so. is not. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk today about um, how, in fact, you manage that. So you employ what you call the we always approach to QI culture. Can you walk us through sort of what that means at Southside? 
Sure. So when I first joined Southside, and I think this is not unique to um, our clinic or the history of our clinic, but um, when I first joined Southside, um, you know, data and quality was kind of on the back burner. Um, we heard a lot of, um, oh, we used to do that, but I don't know why we don't anymore. Or um, we used to do that for a certain grant, but that stopped. So now we don't do that anymore. Um, and so we developed a we always approach, meaning we always you know, screen people for depression, um, not because we have a grant attached to it, not because we're reporting to HRSA, um, not because we have money attached to it, but we always screen our patients for depression because we don't want them reflected in the staggering suicide statistics in Minnesota. Um, and then we, we take that approach with all of our clinical quality measures. Yeah, I, I really like that. Um, in particular, what you mentioned about programs, and it's really easy to find time for quality reporting metrics when your funder requires, right? It's a little sure. bit different when nobody's knocking to keep them at the forefront. Um, so how do you, how, how did you roll that out? How does we being, you know, an idea to being a company culture? So uh, a few years ago, back in 2018, we when we rolled this out, we actually um, implemented IHI's Joy in Work at the same time, um, and uh, which is really just a platform for introducing psychological safety um, and reconnecting to purpose. And through that, we began telling our own stories, um, whether they were our own or that of our families. And really just started talking very openly and vulnerably about um, our own experiences in healthcare and how we did not want those experiences to be um, passed on to our patients. And, um, and it really is what we use to drive um, this we always approach, um, just really staying connected to the work that we're doing. Yeah, I like that, uh, especially around psychological safety. I think it's a, a common refrain when clinical settings. Um, it's less common when you talk about administrative functions and in quality, uh, quality improvement and data in particular, um, that idea that data can be traumatizing to people is really viewed. And that's an excellent way to break down that barrier. We always, because it shows us how well we're doing and there's a lot of great stuff that you can tie on top of that, we always start to assist. Yeah, in, in my role as the director of quality, I tell our staff and my colleagues really that um, it's my job to worry about the data. Their job is to take care of our patients, um, which is what they, that's their purpose, right? That's why they went into the healthcare to begin with. Um, they didn't go into healthcare to, to report to HRSA. <laughs> right. They went in to make sure that our, our communities are living happy, productive, healthy lives. Um, and so as long as they are keeping that at the forefront of their mind, they do what they do. And as long as we're doing right by our patients, our data falls in the line. Yeah, that's a really important perspective. Almost it's data as a service, not data as a request, right? I'll bring you the numbers that we can talk about. You don't have to bring them to me on top of the work you already do, right? Serving right. versus um, requesting. That's great. Um, so... You introduced QI in your new hire, correct? 
We do. So this was part of our initiative to just change our culture, really, and, and introduce the psychological safety. And again, like I said, quality was really on the back burner of our organization when I first joined Southside. So this was a way for us to introduce um, you know, our, our initiatives right from the get-go to people entering our organization. So we were doing, you know, it was kind of twofold. We, we were doing the work with the people that were already here um, and trying to shift that culture. And then with the people that were new on board, the expectation was already set for them, um, you know, as soon as they walk in the door. Right. Um, one of the things that, you know, obviously that does is helps you connect to uh, what W. Edwards Deming called the process owners, the people who um, can actually change a function, which in QI, that's neither you nor me, right? You need people who are embedded in the processes to decide that they're going to do them differently. Um, so tell us what it's been like in terms of your ability to, to tap into those creative centers of uh, those who perform the work. Sure. So um, we, I facilitate um, patient advisory groups um, and, or we call them clinical advisory teams actually um, within our organization. But um, it's, it's really just giving the message that the people who do the work have the best ideas. Um, again, I can look at the data, but they do the work every day. They are, they've got their hands in the cookie jar, so to speak. So um really, they're the only ones that can give us the information that we need. Um, you know, when, when we do um, PDSAs and, and try different, um, you know, systems changes, we know within a couple patients whether or not it's going to work or not. Um, and so it helps really having these people, you know, these smaller groups um, really be the change makers of the organization and, and being willing to try these little tests of change and whatnot so that we can implement them on a larger scale. Very nice. Uh, sounds like you've got a lot of amazing buy-in. Um, hard-earned though, hard-earned. It is hard-earned, sure. especially again, coming from a culture that wasn't there. Um, and we did lack some psychological safety um, for various different reasons. And so when we um, began to introduce this, um, you know, admittedly, when we first started advisory teams, pulling teeth, <laughs> you know, not very many people, they, they weren't quite sure what this meant, how much work was involved. They weren't, they weren't quite sold that we would actually do what they were suggesting, you know? Um, and as we pulled in more people to these, um, we had multiple sub, you know, smaller groups. And as we pulled more people in, then they, they slowly and surely began to trust that we trusted them to know how to improve our processes. Um, and then once we, and again, once we, you know, our data tells our story. So when we, when we saw that what we were doing was working, that just charged them even further. Yeah. Once you get a little bit of success, you can uh, sort of self-promote that within right. and, and create that momentum. So you mentioned before that there's 18 clinical quality measures uh, for an FQHC and you know, you're looking at all of them all the time, but you can't be running uh, projects arbitrarily. Talk a little bit about your process for identifying, you know, an intervention or the, when a metric needs a project or needs a need to try something new. You know, how do you, you don't just throw darts at your 18 measures and pick one. What's your process <laughs> look like for identifying, you know, the next 
project sure. for your clinical advisory teams? So it's really, um, you know, it kind of all happens simultaneously, honestly. I'm looking at the data every month. Um, and if I see something trending in a um, unfavorable direction for our patients, then it's time to look at what our processes are. And sometimes what's been working just for whatever reason, especially during COVID, it just doesn't work anymore. So we have to tweak it a bit. Um, and so, you know, just based on what, what our numbers are showing, then we'll, we'll take a uh, deep dive into a few random charts based on the, the CQM and find out what exactly is going on. And then we'll pull in the people who are doing the work to say, you know, if not this, then what, right. um, and, uh, and then we brainstorm and collaborate. And then we, we try small things, you know, small tests of change and then go from there. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Now we have actually two clinical um, advisory teams. We have a preventative care and then a chronic conditions um, care group. So um, it's it's a lot more streamlined than it than it was back in 2018. You know, there's been some um, growing, obviously, but um, this this process has worked fantastic for us. Wonderful. Um, so you uh, ha have mentioned to me in the past a particular project, and I appreciate your willingness um, to discuss a little bit of detail, Sure. because um, I think it helps a lot of agencies who are um, trying to, to grow their culture of QI and trying to really embrace you know, PDSA and change plans. Um, and on paper and in theory, it all makes perfect sense. But the practical application is, you know, sometimes out of reach for uh, a lot of agencies. So I think when we can tell these stories, it really, really helps everybody. Um, so the, the project that uh, you had told me about was around colorectal cancer screenings. And maybe you can you know, help us understand a little bit what the expectation is. And then you know, we can kind of talk through how that project sure. went. Sure. So, um, well, to begin, I would say too that I think that with QI projects, we tend to make them in much larger in our mind than they need to be. Um, actually, the the more simple, the better, and the more successful. Um, and so, with our um, colorectal cancer screening, when I first joined Southside uh, back in 2017, our colorectal cancer screening rate was at 47 percent. And I had actually come from private OBGYN where our, our numbers were actually much higher. So to know that we were, I was working with a primary care clinic with a lower rate was, uh, you know, concerning. I knew that we could do better. And um, so we looked at our process and uh, we happened to use a form of EPIC um, for our EMR. And uh, I discovered that when we gave patients their at-home IFOB kits for colorectal cancer screening, um, when they returned them, they needed to schedule a lab appointment so that our medical assistant who was running the lab in-house had something to attach it to, an appointment to attach it to. And then it occurred to us as we talked about the current process, why aren't we having patients just schedule their lab appointment when they're given the kit? That way they get an automated appointment reminder through our um, our system that we use for, for appointment reminders. And, um, and then if they no-show, they, again, they get a, a reminder. So it takes the onus off our low resources that we have, you know, for contacting patients. And then, um, and, and really just puts it in the hands of our patients to, to, to get their appointments scheduled before they leave the, the office. And we tried it with 10 patients right off the bat. 
um, and all 10 patients when it was followed, um, you know, to a T, it, all 10 of them returned their kits within two weeks. Um, and so we implemented it and we made it our process. Um, and the, the two months that we had right after we implemented that, we shot up to 70% uh, for our colorectal cancer screening. That's an astounding improvement. It is. It's, it's you know, and, and it also speaks to our uh, total cost of care. You know, before we were just handing out these kits and they were disappearing because mm-hmm. people would forget about them, you know. Um, so it was like throwing dollar bills in the air, you know. Um, and so it was really, it was successful on all fronts. Mm-hmm. And they typically are, right? Usually whatever you hone in on for improvement usually has ancillary improvements. Right. Yeah. They either have to happen to achieve it or once you achieve it, they, they spin off into something else that you weren't even trying to do. Absolutely. Yeah. And it speaks to, to our, um, you know, our, our advisory teams are interdisciplinary. So we have um, representation from our front desk staff too, who used to do the, you know, or who does, I should say now the, the scheduling of the lab. So um, you know, everybody's got a, a piece in it. Um, and then everybody also has a voice in it as well. So that helps. Right. So now I want to go back through the project and, you know, it's funny that you said usually simple is, you know, the best way to go. So I'm going to go back through your project, if you don't mind, and try to simply explain how you do it. So I think this is where a lot of people get lost. Um, yes, you had the metrics. Yes, you had a change plan. Yes, your test group performed well and you got your improvement. This is going to sound silly, but what did this look like? Did you meet in a room? Did you meet via Zoom? Like, how do you activate your clinical advisory teams? Like, what does it look like to be in your seat and actually, you know, initiate a project like this? that resulted in amazing improvement. Sure. So we had our clinical advisory team. Um, We looked at our, um, you know, our colorectal cancer screening rates. Um, I shared with them my experience in my previous role um, and thought that we could do better. And, um, and then from there, again, because it's a, um, you know, multidisciplinary team, each person who um, had a role in the process explained what happens. Um, And so when we kind of laid that out on paper, um, we could, we could, it was very easy to see. I mean, it was almost like <laughs> this light, you know, was switched on um, going, why don't we just do it this way? Oh my gosh, it's so simple. You know, it, it just, it alleviates so much. And um, we tried it. We, we chose, we had a, a nurse that looked through the schedule and, um, you know, picked some, some random patients that were due for their colorectal cancer screening. We tried it on them and, and it worked. Um, I love that you said um, you put it on paper, right? So even if you have, you know, three, four, five people involved in a process, if they document their part and they're all separate, it doesn't expose anything, right? When you take correct. four people's part of a process and put it together and everybody can look at it, it paints a picture and you go, yeah, okay. <laughs> we can clearly right. see, identify what it is we can do. Yeah. Um, write it down is a huge lesson. Yeah. And well, and I think we get into that mindset of, oh, we always do this or, um, 
you know, or, or we've always done this. And it's, and, and that's actually, I think one of the most damaging mindsets that we could have in quality improvement, but um, yeah, you know, getting it on paper and just realizing just how simple it is or, or not simple. Sometimes we've, we've, you know, written things down that we're doing and we go, why on earth are we doing that this way? We've got this fantastic EMR system that could be helping us <laughs> be right. better. You know? Right. So you get there, you get it written on paper. Um, you've got your test team in place. Um, the results on your test are perfect or near perfect, right? So how do you go from a 10-person test group to this is our forever policy or this is our, you know, this is our new permanent process. Sure. You make so, sure that it, it gets expanded. Yeah. So what we do is um, in my role, I write our policy out uh, with our procedure as well. And then at our medical staff meeting, we introduce it. Um, we go through it, um, you know, in its entirety and, um, and we teach it, explain it. And then we, we kind of handhold for the first couple of days um, you know, I do some behind the scenes, um, just checking. We did at one point, we did a, uh, we called it a competition um, where we had, um, you know, we we had a list of patients that were due for their colorectal cancer screening. And it was kind of a, a uh, competition between um, care teams to make sure that each each part of the process was completed with these patients. And again, and the ones that completed it, you know, from A to Z, it worked perfectly. Patients got brought their kits back and brought their kits back correctly. They were done correctly. And, uh, you know, um, and, and two, that helped us see also that for the patients that the process wasn't followed, they weren't, they still weren't returning their kits. So um, it just helped our staff also notice that, hey, this actually does work. Yep. And going back to your we always, if early detection is um, a huge driver in being able to treat any type of cancer, then, you know, here you are, uh, substantial amounts, uh, getting people screened early and often, um, that's going to make a difference. Absolutely. And absolutely. And, you know, we have um, one of our providers that we work with, um, she's kind of championed our colorectal cancer screening, but she has a close family member who had passed away from colorectal cancer screening. So again, it ties back to our purpose and, um, you know, not wanting our patients reflected in those numbers. Yep. Yeah, that's great. Okay. Um, this is a wonderful story. And that's something that I was going to ask. It's escaping me. Um, oh, yes. So when you see a successful and improvement like this, and we talked about uh, momentum and culture, um, do you, what do you do with these results? How do you show maybe other teams that, you know, hey, look what we were able to do. And uh, when it's your turn, you know, you'll see that that this culture, this process produces successful results. It's not arbitrary. It's not about checking a box. Um, do you do any kind of either internal or external promotion about, you know, when you successfully implement a, a change process? We do. So, um, you know, internally, um, as I mentioned earlier, we are measuring our, 
uh, or we're looking at our CQMs every month. Um, and we share that data um, at all of our staff meetings each month um, with just a real simple scorecard um, with green, red, and yellow, you know, that shows people if we've improved from the month prior and how close we are to our goal. Um, each year we have a 5% improvement goal um, capping at 95%. And um, so people are aware of where we're at. Um, and then um, we're also a part of a, um, a collaborative in the Twin Cities that um, we are required to share our metrics each month um, with a group of 10 other FQHCs. Um, and so with that too, you know, we're looking at each other's data and going, hey, you know, how did you get your numbers up to this? And um, we're sharing that all the time. Um, and and also, you know, with the with being an FQHC, thankfully, um, as a community health center, um, it's actually a very tight knit knit group. So um, we're always reaching out to one another to look for ways, you know, for improvement, whether or not we adopt a process entirely or if we tweak it and make it our own. Um, we're always looking for ways to improve and, and ways to share. Um, you know, our improvement. Yeah, I appreciate that comment because uh, there's a lot we can learn from each other. And for, uh, if one particular clinic finds something that works, um, I love the idea that that gets shared instead of becoming secret because we're all yeah. sort of a public benefit here. Um, you know, it's not about patenting your colorectal cancer screening process, right? It's about getting <laughs> people pre-screened for right. so, that, yeah. so that we can make an improvement. Yeah, um, there is definitely a, um, you know, competitive culture in healthcare, I think. And um, when we don't share, we we are just, um, we're losing sight, again, of the purpose, right, of, of healthier communities and healthier individuals. So yeah. um, we are happy to share anything. Yeah, that's that's wonderful. Um, so I also want to say thank you because um, what you have done today, I think, is you know fairly vulnerable and doesn't happen that often, um, not just personally but as an agency. And this is something that I'm, you know, feel very strongly about that admitting that your quality improvement team improved quality should be a positive thing and not seen as an admission that you weren't somehow providing quality before, right? Like it, we should celebrate these stories. And if our focus is on continuous and just moving the needle, um, then, you know, we got to get out from under the fear of our metrics and, you know, not be afraid to, to tell people. Yeah, absolutely. We were only so good before and now we're better. And, you know, I love that you're proud to tell this story. So yeah, we, we definitely drive on a no better, do better. Um, yeah. Improvement mode. as you know, improvement is the goal as opposed to any particular, right. How do I explain this? There's measures that show whether you improved within a project, but the project itself being successful should be celebrated. You know, that there's a one for project successful, right? <laughs> um, so yeah, I think it's important for, for folks like you to get out and, and tell these stories. And so I really appreciate it. Um, oh, thank you. One last parting question. Um, if you were to uh, have a, um, a first time quality improvement director uh, in front of you coming on board and they said, Alyssa, I'm about to take a seat exactly like yours. 
um, what's the what's the best thing that I need to know to be successful? What what advice would you give that? Oh my gosh, I would say well I have a lot, <laughs> um, but I would say um, uh, be open and talk to your colleagues. Um, again, the people who do the work have the best ideas, and if they trust that you genuinely believe that, they will share. Uh, what works and what doesn't work for that matter and be teachable. <laughs> um, you know, it, it's, um, we, we often come in with our own ideas and, uh, you know, some, some of us are, are pretty, um, steadfast on making sure that <laughs> what we have in our mind plays out, but it doesn't always work that way. So we need to be nimble and, and teachable. Excellent. Thank you. Um, we'll go ahead and uh, that wraps up today's conversation. Um, this has been Alyssa on the Data Doesn't Equal Outcomes podcast. Alyssa, thank you so much for being with us. Yeah, thank you, Tristan.